Welcome to the Campaign Builder. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we're building a full campaign as transparently as possible. In each episode, we're discussing overall plot points and focusing in on how to use dynamic encounters to make more engaging sessions. For more general discussions, look for Campaign Builder episodes called Foundations, or check out our Dungeon Mastery series on the regular It's a Mimic podcast. The party we're planning for includes a warrior, priest, mage, criminal, and outdoorsman as they explore their homebrew setting. At the beginning of this plot point, the characters have just discovered that they've been betrayed by their incredibly powerful benefactor, the Archmage. Now they must muster their resources as they prepare to take him out. All episodes are available on the It's a Mimic feed, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. Everything is also nicely broken up into playlists on YouTube. Don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever app you're listening to, and head on over to www.itsamimic.com to support us by hitting the donate button there. And, now that we've appropriately pimped ourselves out, let's get to building, yo! Boss fights are an integral part of Dungeons and Dragons. Really, all gaming. It has been worked right into everything that we do now. Yeah. Right. Anytime that you play any sort of video game, there is a boss fight. Even when it's not a combat, you just know that every fifth level of bejeweled is going to be slightly harder than four and number six. Right. You just know that there are these milestone boss encounters, for lack of a better word. Almost all D and D campaigns build up to a final boss fight. Or they have some dangerous enemy like a dragon that the players know they're going to be facing down soon enough. And yet, a lot of tables seem to miss out on the opportunity to appropriately prep beyond a fetch quest or choosing spells or visiting the weaponsmith. There's more that you can do to really build up the idea that you are going to fight the bad guy. Yeah. Gathering resources, using your agency to change the story yourself as a player. This is where a DM gets to kind of let go a little bit of the reins and see what the players are coming up with, what their plans are, because they're going to ask, can we do this? Can we do this? I'd like to do this. And just just let them. You just have to allow them to do it. But you still have to prep for a session. You still have to guide them. And there is such a thing as too many options. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you have a lot of tropes to push into and because there's a lot of tropes a lot of things that we're expecting when it comes to boss fights because it's so ingrained in our culture like you mentioned you as a dm not only have to play a very reactionary role but you're also having to mitigate this uh analysis paralysis that could come up so if we're dealing with these giant milestone issues right the the last episode you know that the season finale of a TV show is going to be the big one where people may die. We know that going into everything that we touch in pop culture these days. So why do we not use that opportunity? When I when I think back to television shows that I like, I mean, you look at Game of Thrones, for example, early seasons. That's what we're going to talk about here. Yep. It was the set. It was the episodes leading up to the finale where everyone was setting up the stage. Mm-hmm. And then we just watched how it all played out in the last episode. And that was the format that they used. The body count hit. The Red Wedding was not a season finale. No, it wasn't. It was mid-season burner, wasn't it? No, it was like a couple episodes before the end, right? And it is consistently, it was, I think, episode eight out of ten was consistently the one where shit was hitting the fan. Yeah. People were dying. Things were going crazy. And we just did that with our betrayal. Yeah. Now that we're leading up to our season finale, our boss fight, what are we doing in the meantime? We have to react to the things that just happened. This is where 
the players have the opportunity to take everything that they own, everything that they have, all of their plans and ideas and their agency, and put it towards a single focused goal. So this is a unique opportunity to give players agency on a bigger scale than just street level or in-encounter decision-making. Why is that important? And how does it enhance the game? Well, it gives your players a sense that they are starting to become the movers and shakers, that their actions have a effect. And that that ultimately is why we are playing D&D. We are playing D&D to be able to have a large effect that is noticeable on this made-up story that we're that we're putting together right this collaborative storytelling that we keep on hammering over and over and over again around the table really reinforces the fact that your players have the ability to change the landscape in any way they deem around them um playing a video game or playing a board game just doesn't have that you're you're always you know trapped within the confines of what the programmers or builders have whereas D&D you're limited only by your imagination being able to let your players get weird when it comes to their plans and prepping for a boss fight really gives them this sense that anything is possible in this game where we fight dragons and delve dungeons yeah honestly when it comes to the prepping of the big fight I myself am thinking of yes and and no but yeah, I'm not giving any hard limitation unless they want to be like, oh, I want to phase through walls or something totally outlandish, right? Yeah. But whatever their plan is, if they want to create some elaborate trap using a bunch of gears from a windmill and so, but go freaking nuts. Yeah, we'll roll to see how effective you are, but this is you guys taking the seat from me, the DM now. Yeah, right. So I can sit back and I can watch and I can listen and I can enjoy. This game. And honestly, the goal of DMing should be to let the players run the show. Yeah. You provide the conflict, the conflict and the scenario, the setup and the setting. They will do everything else. You do not even control the plot. You only control the conflict because they control the resolution. And not just what happens, but who does it and how. Mm-hmm. There's there's a certain amount of uh, freedom that is there uh, for a DM when you get to the one of these sessions. Because you are so reactionary with a lot of your points, because a lot of the players are coming at you saying, hey, can we do this one thing? And you're, you're um, implementing that improv yes and idea. You are taking notes. You are kind of reveling in the creativity of your friends. Um, and, and this is why I would encourage all DMs, new and old, if something sounds outlandish, ask for clarity, don't say no, right? Like this, this is one of those situations where if they're wanting to set up this big mechanical, um, like the old board game mousetrap, like yep. if they're trying to set this, uh, chain reaction off that will end in the D, the big bad evil guy's capture. Yeah. But you guys are going to have to explain this as we go. Right? Yeah. And even if it's not going to work for whatever reason, oh, we just need three red dragons to be able to pull this. Okay, well, look, no, you don't have that. But why do you need the red dragons? Yeah. That's why I say no but. I'm looking for the reason why and see if I can give them something that may get the most of the way there. Why and how are going to be your biggest tools to use in one of these sessions as a DM? And so when you're coming up with this, how are you planning sessions? How, how do you plan the encounter? For our specific campaign, we're still kind of bound by the limitations of this city that we're in. So there's not a lot of going out and shopping. That is well, happening. there is a bunch of abandoned buildings, though. Yep. Right. And so I'm a big fan of them going and scavenging. Mm-hmm. If they can find a map of the city somehow, then they might be able to know what's around. 
look, you've got some NPCs with you, right? You should be able to say, hey, this is what I want to do. This is where, where I want to go. Who can help me? Has anyone seen anything like this? Yeah. Right? And then I, as a dungeon master, I'm going to roll probably no, like a history check to see if they know or just an intelligence to yeah. see if they remember. And and that's where I focus a lot of my prep when I'm coming into the, one of these kind of sessions is I will give, I give NPCs they already know information and i will set up information that i could then give to my players for them to react upon if a uh, combat is needed then i'll give a combat but it re- likely won't be a massive like dynamic and combat encounter unless there's a plot point i'm trying to get across here or i'm trying to add a sense of urgency or something well that's the danger right yeah and so hold on a sec if you give too much agency they're going to just start to meander yeah Okay. What else? What are the other issues that that you can run into if you give the party too much agency? The 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 session can descend into chaos in the sense of uh and I've seen this happen multiple times where because the players aren't really bound by pressure or time, they're reacting to what happened last week and they might as players be a bit disconnected emotionally with what happened last week. Uh, sorry, you bring up a good point and it's something that we should hit right now. The players are coming into this session knowing they have this level of agency. We have given them at least a week yeah. to prepare for this. So we ended on the last the last session we talked about how it was downtime. They've got choices to make. They've got to figure it out. They've got to start to plan. This is them putting those plans into action. And they've probably changed those plans, Dan, repeatedly <laughs> during the week, Dan. Dan, without really talking it over with anybody else, Dan, and making a last-minute change that is going to catch everyone else by surprise, Dan. It's almost like you're blaming me for something. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. Anyway, so with with all this in mind, they've been planning, they've been plotting, they've put as much work into this probably as they did filling out a character sheet. Oh, yeah, if not more. But it's all coming from their own imagination. You may be getting text messages during the week. It's like, hey, is there one of these in here? Or can we talk to this person? Or when you said that it was blue, what, co- what kind of blue? What are we talking about? And they may have weirdly specific questions. Some of them may be more engaged than others in trying to solve this, and other people are just along for the ride. Yeah. But we have given them the motivation to get revenge, and that's what's driving them, because nothing will get players on board like a revenge story. This is one of the big things that could go wrong when you give players this much agency as well, is it gives the players an opportunity to, as you mentioned before, kind of run the story. They have taken the seat as the DM, and I have known some players, and I do know that the the proclivity of players is to try to surprise the DM with their actions. Um, if you have spent the entire time leading up, you know, 20 so or so sessions or whatnot, that you are not an adversary... Then the, the, the players will include you in a little bit of their planning process without trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Um, having a player go, Oh, don't worry about it. I just need to know, is there any napalm around? No, I'm sorry. You said the word napalm. I'm worried about it. That is just how this goes. Napalm is worrying. So how about we have open communication? Because ultimately, you're not the adversary. You are here to encourage them to use napalm. Yeah, yeah I guess. By the way, uh, napalm is just modern speak for alchemist fire. Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, 
No, when when they start asking these big these big crazy questions and whatnot, they're looking to build a big epic moment. This is what they're excited to do. Allow them to do it. Yeah. As long as it is within spitting distance of reason. It doesn't even have to be within reason because we're playing in a fantastical world. In our own personal campaign, we are on a sunken city that is sideways going down into a bottomless pit. And there are spider monsters coming up out of the ground. Look, the idea of reason has fucking Left. gone out the window, yeah. right? Like, we are telling a big epic fantasy storyline, and so are you. Even your gritty ones have dwarves and elves and gnomes and shit. Reason in this circumstance is, can a role of a shiny clackety math rock help or make what they want to do become possible? Yeah, or even if it's just consistent within the world itself. Yeah, that, right? that, that too, yeah. Yeah, if they're looking for some sort of armored vehicle, we can go to a major city. We can we can give them a vehicle with armor plating, or we can give them an infernal machine that we've tweaked out of the Avernus book, or whatever it is. We can go try to find that. But in a small town with you know three grass huts, probably you're not even finding a horse. Exactly, and so I, it has to be within a certain amount of reason as far as as you as a dungeon master. And even then, I'm like. Maybe maybe there's a nearby town you can go. There'll be a few random encounters. You're going to burn some daylight doing this, but you can go find something that yeah. might be good enough. Or, or, in our, or in our realm, you find that weird house off the corner of a street somewhere in this metropolis that may have the item you are searching for within it. Exactly. So with so many options, with so many opportunities, then you have said these words to me more times than I can count when you were talking to me as your DM. And I would like you to discuss for just a moment analysis paralysis. Analysis paralysis is uh, when you have so many options, you can't do any of them because you don't know which one to do first. Um, this could be detrimental to your players because now they don't know which where to start, right? They don't know where that starting point is that is going to start the process, that is going to catalyze the process it can be crippling especially if you have players playing high intelligence characters who should know the answer should know the answer but they're trying so hard not to metagame that they don't know how to ask as a player my character's smarter than me can you help guide and give me a hint that my character would know instinct instinctfully but i don't yeah as a dungeon master you have heard me say hey look your character would already know this yeah here you go here's just information that i'm giving you that is not me being a lazy dungeon master making you not roll for things there is shit that goes on in your life dan that you just fucking know you don't need to roll an investigation check to know what shirts you own you just know you could just tell, and you may not be able to remember them all off the top of your head. But there's like the green one, the black one with the white shit on it. Seven of them that are Star Wars. Yeah, right. But then you then you sit there and you go, oh, oh, there's actually this awesome. It's a mimic shirt. Buy our shit, and <laughs> and and I really love, I love it. Buy our shit, and it looks so good, and it's so comfortable, and it breathes. Buy our shit. So anyway, <laughs> oh, there was more shameless pimping. Anyway. Um, the, we also sell masks now as well. Buy our shit. <laughs> um, the thing that your players know is not going to be the same thing that your characters know. Your characters are supposed to be fleshed out individuals. They have heard rumors. Just because 
they went to a tavern and you did spend 20 minutes role-playing through that evening that they were there Mm -hmm. there were other conversations there was stuff that they heard there was there was music that they heard there was a song that a minstrel played uh, up on the stage which told a story of a thing with the and you didn't get into that detail because guys we've got two and a half hours on a thursday night to play DD, right so at some point they're going to say would i logically know to look for this and you can say yeah, you know what? Hey, you're looking for an apothecary when you come into town? Yeah. There is a regional symbol for apothecary. You've seen this before. You're looking for it. There you go. This is one of those circumstances where um, a DM screen does wonders for the image you have as a DM of kind of having your shit together. Um, because a player coming to you and asking, hey, is it reasonable that I would know blank? You could grab your D20 and be like, yeah, sure. Doesn't matter that you just rolled a 10. Doesn't matter that you just rolled a 20. Yeah, your player can know. You have an idea and now you you are giving the impression that there's some other information here that they could glean. See, I'm a little bit more devious than that. Yes, you are. And one, <laughs> and one of the things that I do is I say, actually, I have a thing for this. Hold on. And that's when I will go to one of my many binders that I bring to every session and never open. Or one of the many notebooks I have. And I'll say, hold on a sec. And I will sit there and I will pause the game. And I go, wait, wait, wait. I'm just flipping pages. And I'm flipping pages. And I'm flipping pages. And, um... No, not in this city. We don't have one of those in this city. There is a... Blacksmith that you may be able to talk to instead. And I'm just stalling while I come up with the appropriate answer based on whatever the scenario yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're I'm looking, not... you're inside of the binder is just a bunch of, um, pained psychotic writings of plot points that you have. Oh, it's just my, that may eventually come to fruition. No, it's just but, my dark poetry that yeah. I write at two in the morning. So, so you're opening it up and they're like, is there a blacksmith here? And you're like, you're reading pain, no parents, Batman. Um, and, no, there's no blacksmith. There's there's an apothecary, though. Yeah. Well, you can't find a weaponsmith, but there is a blacksmith. So it, it won't be the high-quality kind of sword that you're looking for. But I'm stalling. I'm not relying on dice to do it. I'm no. I'm acting my way through this. And the DM screen is great for that, but I want them to see behind the DM screen. I want them to see that there are books. Yeah. I want them to know that I have binders of shit. And most of the time, I myself, because I prep like crazy, Yeah. I do know the answer. But every once in a while, there'll be something that just hits you out of the blue. This does not happen on railroad campaigns. This happens in sandbox campaigns and funhouse campaigns too, where it's just, you know, balls to the wall crazy, right? And as the DM, I know, Adam, you say you overprep. I underprep. I don't call it overprepping. I call it being prepared though. Yeah. Well, I I underprep criminally. Um, And if this kind of situation ever comes up, which it would often for someone like me who does prep fairly loosely, take notes to what decisions you're making so that you can... Uh, apply those decisions later on. This is a big thing as well to combat uh, analysis paralysis and inconsistency within your DMing. Because if you say, yeah, there's a blacksmith and then two weeks later you come back and they go, well, we want to go back to the blacksmith and you're like, no, 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 there isn't one here. Now you're inconsistent. Make a note, write down what you need to uh, know about it and then move on. Players are not the only people at the table who should be taking notes. DM should be taking more notes than the players. And in an example like this, like this episode, this session that we're running, where they're asking, hey, can I find a wig shop? Hey, <laughs> it's, is there somewhere where I can 
where would I buy toothpicks? I'm like, okay, that is so stupidly specific. But okay, give me a second while I randomly generate in my head really quickly three different general stores as I quote unquote look at my notes. Yeah. And then I'm sitting there and I will say, oh, there's there's the general store over here. And then there's there's this over here. And then there's one way down the other end of town, which is actually quite a bit larger, but maybe more of a risk for you yeah. to get to. I'll open like a map to the city map and be like, okay, this is one that doesn't have a number on it. That's totally a general store now. Circle it and in my notes, hey, this is the spot where this general store is now. Yeah, but by having that level of... See, I'm not lying. As much as I, I, it sounds like I'm lying, I'm not. I'm just creating on the spot. Yeah. And that's why I don't like the dice roll. The dice roll gives the impression that there are 20 different options and that you landed on this one option or, or that I had set up. Or there's just more than one option, yeah. Right. And so I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to say, hey, look, let me check my notes. And what I'm doing there is I'm stalling for time while I create. And now, yes, there is that thing you were looking for. Yes, and yes, it's there and it's over on the far side or yeah. yes, it is, but it's going to be over there. And so I'm consistently working on, on creating these opportunities. When analysis paralysis appears, it is because the options provided are not real options. What happens is, and what I like to do to my players, I'm really guilty of this, is I sit back and I say, so you've got this giant world changing event. You know that three towns over, there are people that are going to die. You know, there's a demon lord that's on the loose over there. And you know that your ship needs to be repaired. It is two o'clock on a rainy afternoon. What would you like to do? And I leave it there. And they sit there floundering like, what the fuck? What am I doing? <laughs> what, what do you mean? No, you're supposed to tell me. And so, and yeah, you actively encourage a little bit of analysis paralysis. And it's a good thing to do so in these sessions. I'm also dealing with experienced players that can that can sit there. They all know each other really well as well. So they can, one person will say, well, I mean, it's the boat that's most important, right? And the moment the conversation starts, everyone will pop up with an opinion. And then the only thing that I have to do is referee and adjudicate the argument yep. about what the priority is. And I would do that, just to add another thing, I would, uh, a lot of times when there is party politics going on even as a dynamic encounter um, and they need uh, a meta perspective they need a DM advice on something um, and it would fit with me speaking through an NPC to give out that information 100% of the time I will do that if it fits using these NPCs that you've built up throughout all this time this is the perfect time to use them to kind of give a little bit of meta knowledge in our world, where again, we're in the sunken city, if our players are going, hey, is there an apothecary? Well, the rescued uh, refugees that they have, oh, yeah, no, it's just off that street over there. I can take you, but that section was hit harder by a sinkhole, and it's going to take a little bit to get through. And now you've got a fun encounter of your party trying to cross a sideways chasm. Yeah, and this is... This is- Really where the genius part of DMing comes from. If you can master this kind of on the fly saying, uh, yeah, within reason, there, of course there would be an apothecary here. And is it reasonable that someone would have stumbled upon it? Then I'm not letting the dice randomly decide whether or not it happened. This is a fantasy campaign where we are building heroes. Yeah. The answer is yes. What can I do? And if not yes, what's close? And if the answer is no, then it's going to have to be very obvious that the answer is no. When they sit there and say, hey, is there an apothecary? And you say, well, there was one, but you literally blew up the apothecary last session. 
So no, there is not another one this session. It will go without saying. And so when you are talking to your players and you give this idea of, hey, you have this, 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 what do you want to do? And they blank stare you, deer in a headlight, you know, and let's be honest, it's it's 2020. There are people that are there that have not made it to every single session. Mm-hmm. There are people that are there that have busy lives that are in three or four D&D campaigns or in not enough. And this is the first one that they've been in in a long time. There's going to be anxiety issues there. There's going to be nerves. You could be playing with people from different uh, ages or, or walks, of life. walks of life, different backgrounds. So th- they've all got reasons to not want to be the center of attention or they don't know how to go about this. And we are not critical role. It is important to remember that we do not have the answers. Critical Role, those guys are literally fucking paid to do that. They are professional players of Dungeons and Dragons. And as much as we are trying to be professionally paid players of Dungeons and Dragons, no, but we're not. But but the point is that none of us are, right? Yeah. Like we would love to be paid to to do this kind of shit, but we're not experts, right? We are. I am not an expert in your homebrew world. I'm not an expert in your homebrew monster or the motivations of your character. And you are not an expert in whether or not there are general stores around or whatnot. So I can't just present a wide opportunity to you just without boundaries and say, go to town. Yeah. What I can do is I can say, here are your goals. Which one is the highest priority? That is going to spark a conversation. And then once they figure out what the highest priority in is, they say, what can we do about it? At which point I say, well, who do you know that might be able to help you? Or do you have any items that might be able to help you? Or have you ever talked to, to anyone around thinking about the, about this? Uh, you want to know about why the gods have gone missing? Have you gone to the temple and talked yeah. to any of the priests? Right? Like, and you can sit there and, and give these leading questions and you can not necessarily give them boundaries, but provide insight into where the roads of investigation might lead. Exactly. Yeah. So, Dan, let's get to the part of the episode where we start breaking down these specific encounters that we're doing for our campaign, right? You and I have each written three, as is tradition on this episode or on this show. So, let's roll dice to see who's going to go first. But as we go through them, let's talk about how this encourages a party to prepare for a boss fight. Yeah. Okay, because that is the goal here. We've been talking a lot about agency and whatnot, but what do you need for a boss? And the reason that we can't give any specifics is because different bosses require different things. Oh, yeah. It is a big difference between going against a Tarasque or a Mummy Lord or an Arch Lich or a, a Arch Devil, right? Like, there are all sorts of bad guys in D&D. There's a hard difference between a Bandit Lord and a Priest. Yeah. And that's like... Low level shit, yeah. right? So we don't know the specifics of your, your campaign or exactly what you are setting up. But think about as we go, as we start rolling dice and we start talking about how we're approaching it, think about how you would apply this to your own campaign for letting your players choose to prepare to fight the boss. This, by the way, is one of my big complaints about the published material in fifth edition. Everything that we get is you literally exploring a dungeon. You are just covering terrain until you get to the last room. Or it is fetch quest. Get the spoiler alert. Sun sword to fight Strahd. Yep. Like that's it, right? There's, there's no real prep there. The players don't have agency. They are just 
literally walking through this campaign to get to the end. So what can we do? And th- and we're going to roll dice. And we're going to talk about why we chose these strategies um, so that we can guide players when they ha- when they hit their analysis paralysis or they come up short mm-hmm. in their planning. They get 80% of the way and you just need to give them a little nudge forward. That's okay too. They will still feel like it's mostly their plan. And honestly, I keep calling it your plan when I talk to players. Even when it's my plan, it's your plan. <laughs> let's just, so let's grab our dice and let's roll. Cool. Ooh, I got an 18. And I got a two. Okay, so uh, my first encounter is going to be a combat to role-playing encounter. Um, and I this is going to be like the first encounter of the session. Um, as the party is... Sitting down, getting comfortable. Um, I want them having spent that time at the end of last session figuring out who their, where their allegiances sit, um, amongst those around them. But as they do, they are going to be seen by the general populace, populace as allies of the mage. And they're going to get jumped by a group of renegades or, or, uh, resistant fighters to fight him. To, sorry, to fight the group. I think that it is entirely acceptable at this point to say that the mage was floating 100 feet above the city with his arms raised in the air, his lightning rained down to sink it. Like, you can tell this this story Yeah. when new NPCs show up saying, hey, you guys were with that son of a bitch. Exactly. And and this is going to be one of those things where potential allies are going to start off fighting and then it switches to a role play encounter the second. True allegiances are made known. And the fact that you have now been betrayed by this archmage, you were wrong the entire time and want to make amends and make things right. You now have a group of NPCs who know this city well and can help your players plan if this roleplay encounter goes well can help your players plan to fight against the Archmage and maybe even join you in the battle. So you're dealing with downtime now. What I want to deal with is not in a combat or exploration or role-playing encounter. I don't even want to do a skill challenge. I want everyone to sit down together and put their heads together and say, look, what do we have? What are our abilities? What are the items that we have? This is the opportunity to sit down and rest. They'll be getting in long rests. Because they've got to have one before they go into this fight. They're outgunned and outmatched and they know it. So this will be a downtime encounter where they take stock. So what I'm talking about here is item lists. Maybe if someone can change their spell list during a long rest, they sit down and say, what spells do I need? Let's work this together and workshop so that we have the necessary materials. The NPCs around, what are they carrying? What do they need? Hey, there's a dwarf over there who was a slave. But if we can put a battle axe in his hands, he's going to be so useful. Mm -hmm. So where can we get a battle axe, right? This is the taking stock and getting the idea of getting armed. A lot of times they just look at the four or five attacks that they have or their favorite spells that they always use. And the party says, yep, good enough. Here we go. As a dungeon master, I want to encourage them to start looking at what they have versus what they need. Don't build a plan based on the materials at hand. Shoot for the sky. Yeah. Aim for whatever it is that you need to and hope that you can get it. And if not, what resources can you use to get an approximation of it, right? And so I, as a dungeon master, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to simply answer questions. As they talk to NPCs, as they start looking around for maps of the city, as they start taking stock of their characteristics, go, wait a minute, I never identified this, 
right? Whatever these things are, how many health potions? Oh, shit, I, I thought we had three or four more than those. I would sit back and I would say, yep, and it would occur to your characters that these are not enough health potions to take on an enemy of this magnitude. Mm-hmm. That is not metagaming. I am not leading them. That is information that those characters would have. The same way that a, a cowboy in a Western would look at the two bullets left in the revolver and the five enemies and go, well, fuck, I need more bullets. <laughs> right? It's something that that character does. They know that. They can, they can balance these odds. Your players may not have the same insights your characters do. Do not be afraid to give them those insights and say, who's got the highest intelligence? Hey, have any of you guys uh, ever been around elves before? Because there's an elf NPC over in the corner and you know that they inherently only need to trance and don't sleep. Mm -hmm. So you guys can all get a watch or you can all go to sleep and you can set him up on watch tonight. Right? Like I, I can do that just by asking a couple of pointed questions and giving them the information that they would have. This is perfect during downtime. This will turn into little role plays here and there, but I'm not looking to get into a large role play encounter here. It's, uh, can we, can we talk the stable boy into raising swords with us? Sure. Just give me a persuasion. Mm -hmm. And then they roll it. Yep. Good enough. He's in or nope. No, he's, he's terrified. I'm just hitting all of these little downtime rolls and answering these questions and asking questions for them so that they can kind of flesh out what their resources are. This is really resource management. So my next encounter is going to be a bit of a combat exploration where the party is beset upon by drow uh, in the city as they are with probably some other slaves and whatnot. And as they defeat these things, you realize that there is a small item that they have on their person um, that anyone from this town would know being a piece of a whole. This item could grow to nullify the mage's magic in some way, shape, or form, give some sort of protection. So now your party has to go and find the other half to this piece or whatnot, and you will discover that it's actually within your own equipment. It would have been an item that I gave you a week ago or two weeks ago that you have found in your explorations within the town. It's just going to be in a small little box that is magically trapped that your party has to answer the puzzle box to get through. This is a great opportunity to kind of give a practical puzzle to your players, get them to solve that. And if they solve that, they can gain access to this item, which will aid them greatly in nullifying a lot of the Archmage's magic. Okay, so why why this? Why do you want to do this for a... So, so the reason why I'm doing this is um, I find a lot to battle analysis paralysis. I've kind of got to give that shove sometimes. And I play a lot of combat-heavy groups. So if I litter something within combat that can draw the player's attention to it, that will help. So having a important item that could kind of spurn on some decision-making for an indecisive or combat-focused group will help your games as well as where we're going with our plot, where we're going to go fight this big bad guy. The other thing you could do with this, instead of nullifying its powers like like the archmage's power or the enemy or whatnot you could do something that powers up the players for a limited amount of time yep right so just being able to smear dragon blood on their weapons to be able to lower someone's ac by half they just know that it makes them more vulnerable but then you give them the mechanical idea that hey if you go get this here is the mechanical base for what you can do and they can sit there and go holy shit okay 
And I love using that against the players. Later on, yeah. Well, no, no. In this combat to draw their attention to it. Uh, in this kind of situation, there will be a drow who has very limited capability to like nullify magic. Not saying necessarily counterspell, because remember, we're level five, we have access to counterspell now. But in very limited quantities, this guy's kind of got a um, field around him where spells do half damage. He gets resistance. Right? Or something along is those lines. Is that an lines. anti-magic field? It's a limited magic field yeah, or something some, like that? Something that's neutered in power that then can evolve into a, oh, if we get the other half of this and put this together, we might actually have a, a protective or offensive weapon that we can use against the Archmage. That's a really good way to help the players when when they say, hey, look, our, our plan is this and here's how we're going to do it. And you as a Dungeon Master can see the fucking pool of hit points yep. that they're going up against. You go, yeah, they're not going to be able to do this. They have no idea what they're walking into. Then to give them, to dangle an item or an object or or a, something in front of them to say, hey, this could really help you, but use it against them first and then see who around the table has their, their eyes light up and go, oh, well, shit, okay. Yeah, right. right. So... My next one is going to be an exploration to exploration. And this is because I literally want them to go out and have to get items. As much as I say that I get bored with the idea of fetch quests, what I want with items is for them to have opportunities. I don't want the axe that does extra damage. I want spells. I want potions. I want the ability for them to turn invisible or fly or reverse gravity. I want shit to be fucking weird. And the best place to go for that is, of course, magic shop. Yeah. Well, you also want it to be consumable because you don't want them to have this ability long term. But being able to pull that out from one fight, so a potion or a scroll or something, would lead them in that direction as well. Exactly. And so I want to go to a magic shop and uh, they can go loot it. And there are spider patrols all over the area. So they're sneaking and this is part of it. When they get into a series of, I don't know, sewers maybe, or bridges that are sideways because we've, you know, turned the entire thing on its head. The players realize that the potions of magic items have been smashed and mixed together. There are still some they can get to, but they've got to get across this crazy landscape where the laws of physics no longer apply. Yeah. I'm going to use the living spells from Eberron, which are like stinking cloud which is sentient. Oh. And it just runs around as a stinking cloud that casts stinking cloud and shit. And all of them are like level one, three, five, I think, listed in yep. the book. And it's like shocking grasp and, and firebolt and stuff. I guess low level spells, but you have to deal with these things now and you're trying to stay quiet as you do it. And you need to go get those items over there. And the longer that you do it, the weirder things are going to be. I'm going to do things like all of a sudden you are... I'm going to introduce the idea of planar shifting here. Where you get shifted into another plane for three rounds. And you see something. I don't know what that thing is yet. But there will be a thing that you see that's horrifying. Or guys, um, Limbo's empty. Huh. Right? Like there's going to be something going on there. You get shifted into the ethereal plane and the sky is just one great big smile. Something really weird to let them know that there's cosmic level epic shit going on. Because we know they're going to find and rescue the yeah. gods, 
right? That's going to be their tier four ship, right? So I'm going to drop this stuff early, but I'm also going to just simply reverse gravity on them. And I'm going to make it so that every step that they take, everybody else has to take a step backwards. And the, the closer they get to it, the more sizes they diminish. Medium, small, this tiny. This is really fun to do as well um, on a little bit of a uh, meta side as a DM because you now have the ability to mess with raw, unhinged weave. Raw, unhinged magic. And you know in a session, two sessions, however long it is in your campaign, your party's about to fight a archmage who is raw, unhinged magic. So you could kind of lay some of the groundwork here for your big boss fight later, right? If you're say you said reverse gravity, okay, you now know if the ground is floating, here's an idea of what we could do. And then you go to your boss battle and have floating platforms, your party is now equipped and they have an idea of what to do. So yeah. you're prepping them without them knowing it. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is foreshadowing. It's very yeah. subtle. But just by messing with the terrain, I'm having fun with this. One of the other things that I was thinking of was the wild magic table. Yeah. Where you're just like aging and de-aging and turning blue. And now that thing's a potted plant. And some guy walks through a door and explodes. Yeah. A petunia <laughs> falls from the sky thinking, not again. <laughs> right? Like there are there are definitely things that you can do out there and, and just like accidentally set off a fireball. Or set off a delayed blast fireball. It is just a little red pinprick of light over there. And any player that has been around long enough is going to look at that and go, Nope. Fuck. Run. Run! Run! <laughs> And of course, the faster you move, the more vertical you float. You can really mess with the players on this if you sit down ahead of time and you say, you know, every square on the grid has a different weird magical effect. Oh, oh, I would recommend not using a grid or a battle map because the second you start messing with like gravity and try to maintain this in theater of the mind as best you can. Oh, I would straight up use a grid because I want to know that, oh, hey, you're over here by the desk. That means that you are upside down and doing this over here. Now you're an orc. Now you're a female orc. Now, now you're, you're a horny female orc. Now you're like it's just gonna, now you're a humpback whale. Yeah. Now now you are a humping whale. Now you are, and it just it, it's just going to continue to get out of control the more that this goes. And there is no way for you to continue to be stealthy. So I'm actually going to throw a couple of drow in here as well under the idea of combat. Yeah. However, they may get a pot shot off, but it's not really a fight. They're going to go step on, I don't know, the black square or go touch the glowing red item and just disintegrate. Mm -hmm. Like, so everybody stops and goes, oh, wow. This wacky shit is not just wacky. Oh, man. I, I, you've got me going here. Um, I would use this opportunity to maybe inject some weirdness into the world in general, not just against your boss fight, not just in this location, but like, your drow start growing lobster claws and then they phase to a different reality or get teleported 400 miles away, right? So now you have enemies in random locations of the world that can now speak against you or if they're allies who are now building up some sort of rapport. So if, uh, say, one of your saved uh, slaves that you have emancipated in this situation has been teleported into the mountains to the far north that we haven't talked about when your party eventually gets there 
They've already established the groundwork of this group, and your rumor as a party spreads even faster. Yeah, look, I really like that. What we're doing again is we are earning this shit early. We're dropping down little bits and pieces, making notes of it to ourselves so that we can pick it up later if it ever comes up. And we will look like geniuses. Yeah. Because, oh, I guess you planned this all in advance. And we we didn't. We just made some dynamic encounters that were more than just, you smash that guy over there. Now you smash that guy over there. Now you climb a ladder to, so that you can smash that guy. Right? So... This is where these crazy dynamic encounters are starting to get a lot more fun and where the idea of preparing for a boss fight, getting the items, getting the powers, beefing up is really starting to take hold. And your players are starting to feel like, hey, you know what? We're accomplishing shit. Because remember, we just pulled the rug out from underneath them. Yeah. So for my final encounter, I have a role-playing to exploration encounter where the party... In their discussions of uh, things around are either approached or they discover or one of the slaves in their group who hasn't really talked much speaks up. And it's this aged swamp elf from the far west that we've talked about before. And she says she's willing to give the party some information of how to deal with this imp or or the, the archmage or um, help with something in terms of banishing. But... In order to sever its connection, the party has to help with a ritual. Now, we've already established that the Swamp Elves are basically... They're hags. They're, they're hags. They're, they're light hags. They're, yeah, they're, they're hag lights with lime. Um, yeah, and, they're greenish hags. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be some moral ambiguity here that you got to play with. They're like, all right, so um, I need four teeth. I don't care from who, but they need to be freshly removed. I would even say I just... I just need a, a teaspoon of blood from everyone here. Yep. But no one can know about it. Yeah. So um, this is your opportunity if you're a DM like me to get weird with it. Um, I, I It should surprise no one. I'm a massive H.P. Lovecraft fan and, and just like quirky, weird, horror aligned things. And this is your opportunity to inject a little bit of moral questioning as is the information here worth the sacrifice we're about to pay. And I, as a DM, I'm not even 100% sure if it's worth it yet. Because now you have a swamp elf who's basically a hag who probably has one of the PC's teeth, blood, lock of hair, something. Oh, yeah. She's straight up making a flesh golem. Like, yeah. She's going to clone you, bud. Watch yeah. out. So this is another one of those opportunities where we know that this character might betray us, but they're willing to help. We just have to offer some... They want seven buttons, but they can't be the same buttons. No, they get they have to be different buttons, and they also need to be in the bile of seven different creatures. Yeah. So and and you look around and you have four different you know subspecies of creature around you. So where are you going to get the rest, guys? Yeah, yeah, you can get weird with this, and and I like this because it's you're kind of pulling on them a little bit to make the, these weird um, no right answer decisions. Yeah, which. I'm going to lean into with my last one as well. But the idea here that they've got to start checking the morality for their current NPCs is fantastic because they're about to go get revenge on a former NPC. NPC yeah. Right. A beloved friend of theirs that, that has turned on them who has is actually pathetic and not nearly as powerful when he's normal. Yeah. Is there an innocent mind in there? 
And that's a really good question. And one that we're, we should start asking ourselves, like, at what point is murdering okay in this, in this game for revenge? Yeah. So I'm going to ramp it up to the next level, Dan. Of course you are. Because I am a cruel dungeon master, and I, I like to ask the questions that should never be asked. I'm going to make it clear that in order to get close to the Archmage, some NPCs will have to engage with guards that he has. So I'm going to let them know ahead of time, somehow, that there are now small devils. We're going to see things like bearded devils and barbed devils showing up here. Specifically devils. Not just generic fiends. We're going to see specifically devils. I want to see that there are guards, bearded devils, um, barbed devils. You're going above the Lemur stage, right? Above the imp stage as well, right? Yeah. Things that you can run into one or two of these things is going to be a problem when you run into three or four. If, so, if, if there's any sort of, uh, if you guys want any sort of clarity of which is the devil fiend that you should be using here, we've got a whole host of, uh, fiend related episodes that Adam Ninja recorded in my basement uh, about a year ago. Yeah. So, you're, you're so welcome, Dan. Uh, what is that? 28? B? 25B? 25. No, 25A is the devils. Okay. It's a devil episode. Um, but if you're not inspired by anything, check out 25D, which is a generic fiends as well. Um, but I wouldn't use demons and I wouldn't use yugoloths because I'm specifically saying devils because I'm dropping a hint early. Mm-hmm. I'm laying the groundwork for the idea that not only is there this imp that the party doesn't even know exists yet, but our big bad evil guy, our, our boss at the very end of all of this is Asmodeus. Mm-hmm. And we need to start dropping that lawful evil fiend real early. And so that's why we've chosen an imp, right? Way back when in the villains episode, I think it was the second episode. Yeah. We chose an imp because we're kind of leaning in that direction. This is why I want more devils to pop up here. And so the party knows. So here's what it is. The party knows in this party politics moment that some NPCs are going to have to go engage in combat with these guards in order to create a distraction. And I think an NPC is going to offer this information. He's going to maybe even volunteer. I will do this for you to take him out. Revenge for all of my fallen brethren and so on and so forth. But I can't do it alone. I need help. They're also going to need a decoy to pull the armies away or whatever it is as well for the drow. What this means is that they've got to send non-combatants on a probable suicide mission. Who's going to be drafted for this mission? Jeez. Who's going to go to certain doom who's going to go to possible doom, and who is going to get to escape. If you are going to drop this on your players, Adam, you have done the inverse of this to us before, where you're like, here's a list of NPCs who are frozen in stone. Who are you guys going to revitalize with this limited amount of um, revitalizer? There was a ritual I could only do some of them. Um, And we had to go through, and as the players... Go through this list of NPCs who we knew probably 90% of them, and we had to save 60. And we could only save 60%. So do that as well. Slide over. Okay, guys, here's a list of the NPCs you have with you. Here's their names, their uh, their subspecies, all that other stuff that's going on with them. And get them to choose which ones are doing which. You come prepared with a printed out Excel, Excel spreadsheet. Um... Now your players are sitting there obsessing over this piece of paper while you're going, okay, make your decision. And you just sit back. This was a great thing that you did for us. Smoke them if you got them. Yeah. Right? I'm going to sit back. I'm going to crack a beer. And I'm just going to watch you guys fucking sweat. Right? And And, and then something you did, you're all like, really? None of the children, hey? 
Interesting. Oh, and I will do that. I will sit there and I will see, you know what? Yes, you guys chose the big guys to go into the fight. And you guys chose the fast guys to go over there and, and on the suicide mission. And it's weird, though, that none of the Duragar are slated to to live. What does that mean? Yep. Wow, you guys are risking a lot of females on this and none of the males. What does that mean? Right? And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to look for these things and I'm going to put that out there and I'm going to create these hard decisions. And the reason that I do this, the reason that we hit this moral ambiguity is because we are forcing a decision that they don't want to make, but we are drawing to their attention the idea that they are making this decision. Yeah. This is their agency that they are using. And if they don't want to make this decision, there has to be a better way. You look at them and say, okay, great. Come back next week with the better way, but you will only have three hours to get it running before that mage moves on and you're mm-hmm. not going to find them again. You have a window of opportunity. Use it. Yeah. Because you have noticed that he disappeared. And since he's disappeared, at the end of last session, there are more and more devils pouring into this realm. He has to be responsible for that somehow. Yep. If that's the case, the longer you wait, the more that you're going to have two fucking armies to deal with here. (laughs) Right? Do not wait too long. And we already had a long rest. Yeah. So, as you can see... Forcing these kind of choices, it's still their choice. It's still their NPCs, and they may have some way to say, hey, you know what, we don't need to risk anybody because we're going to set up some sort of major illusion over there because we found this or we unleashed everything that's going on. We know that there's a magic shop that is ready to blow. We just need one person to go over there and throw alchemist fire into it and see what the fuck happens. That's enough of a decoy. We don't need to do anything. Great. You pass this encounter. That's fantastic. But it made them stop and think, what are we giving up? Now they've got to give up Alchemist Fire. Mm -hmm. Who's going to go do that? It is them being forced to make choices. And so by presenting limitations and high stakes, you're going to force their hand. Any final thoughts, Dan, before we wrap this up? I just want to say that players should be encouraged to be creative in this situation and there is going to be a little bit of reactionary dming that is going to be required and something you could do to help yourself a lot is going to be to kind of prep small little i don't even necessarily think they have to be dynamic but small little encounters that could happen in a variety of locations um so if your party does end up going you know, well, we want to go over here to see if this happens. Well, okay, I've got an encounter that might help a little bit and dropping that on them rather than being reactionary. So, um, you know, going into this uh, session that your party is planning to destroy a big bad. So, you know that giving them information, giving them uh, weapons, giving them tools is going to help. But it doesn't matter in a ruined city where you are to get these encounters or wherever you like it. You could be in a fully functioning village. Having an, an encounter that could kind of take place in multiple locations will really, really help out your stress going into that session as a DM. This is where I'm going to take a not so random table. Yeah. Where I make my random table of, hey, you know what? If they're above ground, it's this. If they're hanging off the cliffside, it's this. If they're underground, it's this. I'm going to come up with, I don't know, eight options for each. And then which one matters? Which one makes the most sense? Which one is going to put them forward closer to their goals? Yeah. There is a limited amount of agency you could give the players in this respect too. Like if they go, I don't know, we want to find an item that can help us in this. And they're vague. And you're in that location, like, okay, you who made the call, just roll a D8 for me. 
and get them to choose on this list what encounter they're going to do. Right. Yeah, you can have them scout a little bit and kind of know what's around and, yeah. and what they want to do. The other thing, too, is that if they're going to be super vague about it, I, lo- I love the idea of giving them options. But you sit there and say, okay, I'm going to need you to be a little bit more specific and you better hurry up because there are footsteps. Mm-hmm. This is going to push them into making a decision. The more decisions they make, the easier the decision making will come. That's why we're starting this. So freaking early in the campaign. Yep. Because by the end of the campaign, I don't even know what we're going to do for tier four for the campaign builder series, Dan, because I'm just like, I don't know, man, it's level 19. Those fuckers are teleporting across planes of existence. <laughs> There's just, I, I don't know what we could possibly throw at A lot them. of mustache twirling by evil disembodied entities. Yeah, right? Yeah. So when we get there, obviously we will have stuff. But, but when we get there, uh, I'm just, I don't know what that looks like yet. Because we are really pushing them to get as much agency as possible. Now, again, we're looking a little bit ahead. We are going to enslave them for a small time in the future. Yep. And we have just captured them and made them escape in the past. So their agency is definitely something that we are playing with. And today, for this session, for this episode, we are saying, have all of the agency and I will help facilitate it. Because there will be times in the future where I take away all of the agency. And this is how we build trust. Yep. Open communication saves a world of hurt. So, now that we've prepared ourselves for a final showdown against our former ally, I guess it's time to take a long rest and prepare our final strategy. This will let us recover our spell slots and special abilities while we get ready for a fight that we may not be able to win. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit. And you can email us at info at It's a Mimic.com. I'm Dan. (laughs) And we'll be back with more prep work next week. But I wouldn't use demons and I wouldn't use yugoloths because I'm specifically saying devils because I'm dropping a hint early. Mm -hmm. I'm laying the groundwork for the idea that, A, there's an imp, which the party doesn't know exists yet. And B, our big bass, a big bass, our our big big fucking (laughs) talking fish, our fucking... (laughs) Okay, bye.